welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. If this podcast is making a difference to you, please subscribe and leave a review. Podcasters love that. I'm with Carolina V today. Carolina, you know what I'm you know my pain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are a podcaster also, and you've been on my show before, and I am yes. so excited to catch up. I didn't pregame very much because I just wanted to, we'll start talking and then it will be all over. I'll forget to record. So tell me how things are going. Things are going really, really well. Actually, my business is thriving. I've now launched a new podcast. My partner and I just recently got a puppy. Um, yeah, things are So if really, anybody really hears good. a dog chewing on a bone, that's yes, what it is. She is uh, yes. she's sitting right behind me. She is very much attached to my hip. So <laughs> that's awesome. Your web website is Carolina. It's spelled Carolina, but you pronounce it Carolina, correct? Yeah. It's I'm a Hispanic origin, so it's actually Carolina, but like I never expect anybody <laughs> I to mean, come on. It that way. <laughs> <You're killing. laughs> yeah. So no, Carolina is good. <laughs> okay. So it's Carolinav.com. Everything will be in the show notes, of course. So talk us through shameless self-promotion, which I am a hundred percent on board for. I love it. Tell me everything yeah. about it. Yeah. So, um, I kind of pivoted a little bit going into 2020. I'm really focused on, I mean, I'm still very focused on helping break free people break free from limitations and whatnot, but I'm really pivoting on helping others gain grit. And so what grit is to me it's the number one key indicator for success. So, I mean, you know a little bit about my background and like how I didn't have a great childhood and whatnot. And I truly believe that it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your education level is. It doesn't matter what your family last name is, like how, what tax bracket you're in, et cetera, et cetera. How talented you are, your intelligence, whatnot those aren't the key indicators of success to me. I truly believe that grit is the key indicator of success. And what grit is to me, I've broken it down into four pillars. So it's commitment, it's dedication, it's resilience, and it's perseverance. And so that's really where I'm pivoting this year is to really try and help people truly break free from those limitations, gain some grit, learn how to really root within themselves so that they know no matter what, they will always persevere. They will always succeed. They can actually accomplish what they set their mind to and nobody can take that away from them. So that's really what my mission is, is moving forward. You, you haven't been on for, it's been a year and a half. And yeah. so I, I just checked to make sure, I mean, it's been quite a while. And I think what's super common with all of us that are entrepreneurs is the pivoting. Yeah. I, we, you know, I mean, we see a need and something, we take something that we're good at, our past experience, plus what we're good at, and it equals entrepreneurship. And then I know I've gotten out there in the world, I've been an entrepreneur for, jeez, oh, well, it's, I launched my business 40, almost four years ago. And sometimes we take that information, our experience and what we're good at and what it equals changes yeah. because of what people need. I know because you're still, you're still a life purchase purpose coach. Yeah. Um, you help people with confidence and commitments, but you work a lot with, um, millennials. Yeah. Millennial women, yeah. which is not at all the demographic I would have shot for personally. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Talk to me a little bit about how people set externally placed limitations. Yes. Because I know, holy cow, we all we all have this dream, right? I remember when I wrote my book, I and I found out 85% of people who want to write a book haven't. I'm like, I want to help all those 85% of the people. And it never it never happened, even though yeah. I was really good at the system and the process. So tell me about externally place limitations and internally place limitations. Yes. So externally placed limitations are like society, our family, our friends, uh -huh. teachers, everything that, that is outside of us, outside of our control. And the thing is, 
is our belief system Mm -hmm. is created from the ages of like zero to seven years old. Right. Right. It's, it's about our surroundings. So when you want to go for that big, bold, ambitious dream and you have your parents saying like, go to university, get a real job, get your head out of the clouds, like make sure you have something secure and dependable and X, Y, and Z, you start to, what I love about children And I'm not like, I'm not like a a kid lover by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) Like I don't personally want children. However, what I do really admire about children is their ability to dream, is their ability to imagine and just like everything is new and everything is exciting and everything is possible. And I remember when I was a kid, like literally standing on top of my, my dog's house in my backyard, feeling like I was like controlling the wind, you know, like our imaginations and our minds and, and our natural connection to the universe and to the law of attraction and to manifestation. That is, we're all like inherently born with that. You know, Mm -hmm. we are, we are born connected to ourselves. We are born rooted within ourselves. It's then life that happens that I can curse on this. Oh yeah, here. we're explicit, hundred yeah, yeah. <laughs> <100%. Yeah. laughs> percent. Um, it's life that comes along and fucks that all up, and it's right. other people's limitations, and it's this really vicious cycle because it's not like our our parents and teachers um, purposely or maliciously put these limitations on us. They're trying to protect us just like their external limitation people, their parents, their teachers, their friends try to protect them with those limitations. Right. And so what I'm here to do is I'm here to really help people kind of cut those strings from those external limitations, because I truly believe it's the external limitations that influence our internal limitations. So when it's like, oh, like I'm not good enough at this, or, you know, I'm not talented enough at this, or I don't have enough motivation to do this, or I I always fall on my face every time I try something, or I'm scared to do this, or I don't believe in myself, or I don't trust myself. All of that bullshit has come up because of those externally placed limitations that people have put onto you. Now, something that I'm really grateful for as as upsetting as tr- and as troubling as my childhood was, it really afforded me the uh, ability to learn early on how to disconnect from that and really relearn how to reconnect with myself because I didn't have a family that believed in me. I moved out when I was 16 years old. Mm -hmm. So if anybody listening hasn't listened to the first episode that I did with you, I moved out when I was 16 years old. I was always made to feel like I was a mistake. I supported myself since I was 16. I went to university. I started this business, et cetera, et cetera. But when I was 16, I didn't have anybody believing in me or supporting me or loving me. So I had to learn how to love myself enough for myself and for all of the other people who were, you know, quote unquote, supposed to love me, supposed to believe in me, supposed to support me. So I almost had to do like overtime and figure out how to do that for myself. Was it hard? Absolutely. Do I wish that on anybody else? No. Am I grateful for it? Yes. Because yeah. when, it be, when it came time to start making decisions for myself, I didn't feel like I was disappointing anyone. I didn't feel like I was going to let anybody down. I didn't feel like I had to ask for anybody else's permission because I didn't have anybody else that gave a shit about my life, right? So it really right. afforded me this opportunity to do whatever I wanted because I didn't have those external limitations put on me that I was going to disappoint someone or let somebody down. That's actually a really good point. Yeah. And so that's the number one question people always ask me is like, how did you do it? Like, how did you manage to do this and Mm -hmm. do that and always pick yourself back up and do this? And it's because I have a fuck ton of grit. Yeah. And that's really what it is. Like, I didn't come from an abundant household. I didn't come from an amazing background. I didn't come from people really believing in me and supporting me and coddling me and telling me that, like, I could do whatever I set my mind to. I didn't have that. So I am literally living proof that those things mean fuck all. Right. It's literally about what do you have inside of you. And 
yeah, I had to find it really early on, but that doesn't mean that people can't find it now in their life. And I feel like millennials are really this pivotal generation because we remember what it was like to play outside and to have freedom and to be wild and carefree and blah, blah, blah. And then we were also, we were the generation where like things switched real quick when technology came in. Like, you know, we were the, the almost center of that pivot, right? Like yep. kids nowadays, they've grown up with iPads and technology and, you know, like, hey, Siri, and hey, Google, and Alexa, and all of this shit, like, we didn't do, like, I say we as a millennial, didn't grow up with that, and so we're this, like, weird generation where we have this nostalgia of simpler times, but we also have this, like, opportunity and also stress a little bit of, like, super possible times, like, we've seen how fast things can change, And so we're in this like weird, weird dynamic. So yeah, that's true. I want to go back to the, oh, there's a couple things. One, my oldest biological daughter's almost 28. Mm -hmm. And so I was a parent trying to, I was the good parent that was very involved that gave my kids the support like you and I didn't have growing up. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, oh, that's so much better. But you're right. There are ways that it's not, which I'll, I'll, mention in just a second, but it was hard to parent kids. My oldest daughter that's adopted is 31. So parenting you guys was hard. Yeah, I believe it. Because you, we started our parenting journey. Like we were raised. Yeah. Come home when the streetlights come on type yeah. thing. And it was a, not as like your generation was not as safe as my generation. But I do remember like not like playing on the streets and like, and my mom was very, like a very paranoid mother like in my childhood. But I still remember like I was allowed to go play at the park and yeah, Yeah. I had to come home when the lights came on and like when it got dark, like that was still there. But like, I, I, and that's why I don't want kids. Like, I just feel like I would panic. Like the idea of something I created or that I like, I love my pets so much. And when they're in pain, like I'm a hot mess. So like, I can't (laughs) even imagine a human child. Like it just seems so overwhelming. It is a lot different. So good for you. I mean, first of all, not everybody wants to, or needs to have kids. My best friend in college, I remember called me and she's like, I don't know how to tell you this, but I don't want to have kids. And I had like <laughs> six at the time. And I'm like, thank God. Cause I'm doing foster care for these kids that are not wanted. So yeah. don't, don't have kids. If it's not hundred percent what you want, cause you when want. you hundred percent want it, it's so fucking hard. Yeah. It's so hard. So don't do it. If it's not totally what you want, it's good for you for knowing that. But so then I have my daughter who's 10 and I remember several years ago, her, she wanted to like, I want to sing and dance on stage. Okay. Cool. Like lots of kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, uh, we can get you into dance classes. She goes, Oh, I don't need classes. You just need to put me on a stage because everybody thinks I'm cute. And I was like, Holy shit. That's, that's not the way it works. So as a parent what's really hard when you really want, you're being a great parent and you're trying all the time is not crushing those dreams and yeah. being like, well, that you can't, I'm so, like, she's pissed that she doesn't have, we don't have a YouTube channel for her. Cause she just knows she's going to be an influencer. No, you're not. I mean, like the chances of you statistically me getting you a YouTube channel and you yeah. being an influencer is so fucking low and really like great self-esteem, but mm, like, I yeah. know what the chances are of that. And they're really, so as a parent, there's this, oh shit moment where you're right. It's almost easier to have a parent who doesn't care about you and gives you no support because you're not disappointing anybody. The parents that are good parents like me, finding that balance of like, um, well, I'm not your agent. I'm your parent and Mm -hmm. I'm not running a YouTube channel for you to be an influencer. And no, you can't just get on stage with a microphone. Everybody thinks you're cute. And that's how you're going to be successful because holy disappointment in your future, sweetheart. You know, like, how do you not crush their self-esteem and crush their dreams, right? At the same time, 
allowing them to understand that there are realities or limitations. And that's exactly where grit comes in because I'm not on this journey to tell people like, yeah, you can hundred percent like believe in, in your dreams <laughs> and things are just going to work out and, you know, like law of attraction, meditate in your room and like the world is just going to fall on your lap. Like, no, <laughs> like action needs to be taken. Yeah. Right. And that's why I've broken grit down into those four pillars. Cause like, if your daughter's not willing to commit to dance lessons, right? she's not dedicated enough to her dream, she's not going to build that resilience that, yeah, like, yeah, becoming an influencer doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> it's not, like, statistically sound, right? right. And, and then it's how not. do you build that perseverance when things right. don't work out for you? When, like, you're an awkward, gawky teenager and you're not that cute anymore, you're not yeah. a five-year-old. And, and you know what? It did happen. We went to... Um, my sister-in-law got married four or five years ago. So she was like five or six and music comes on and she's got great rhythm and really good pitch and tone. And like, she actually does have the skill set where it would yeah. be possible to be successful in that. And this is just one example because it's yeah. an example I have, but like, yeah, actually she does. And what did everybody do? Stood there and clapped and told her how great she was. Oh my gosh, you're so cute. You're so pretty. Look at you dance. Look at Okay, all of that stuff, which was all true, except what people don't understand is that we're actually setting super unrealistic expectations for these generations who think that they can do it because they're cute or whatever, exactly. whatever it is. No, exactly. statistically, that's not true. And you're setting my daughter up to be super, super disappointed with incredibly low self-esteem in another 10 years. Yeah. So here we are, your millennials. <laughs> We can see One the cat second. in the background. It's all I'm good. Gonna, yep. I'm, she, for whatever reason, decided to put the bone in the windowsill. And I'm like, <laughs> why? So just give me one second. Yeah, you got it. I love natural life happening. <laughs> I had somebody once like, I'm so sorry. I have to change my toddler's diaper. And I was like, awesome. We're all real yeah. people. So yeah. With millennials, you're right. Then all of a sudden you went from making mud pies to being inundated. So for, yeah. and, and for me, I, although I'm way not a millennial, I completely, anyone millennial and older understands that then all of a sudden technology took over yeah. and where life was doubling at like what, once every 20 years or 40 years or 50 yeah. years to like now it doubles. I, I don't even yeah. know what the it's rate nuts. of, it's nuts. So keeping up with that and not being completely freaking overwhelmed. And all you have to do is say the word MySpace. And people are like, oh my God, that's so 2000. Right? Yeah, I mean, like, and, and there are some who don't even know what MySpace is. Like I saw right. this meme where it was like, you know, a Gen Zer tweeting like I wish Twitter had the capability to put like your favorite song on your page so when people came to your Twitter feed it would play your favorite song and someone responded to it and was like wow we've officially reached a generation that has no idea what MySpace is and like it's wild it's wild that in such in like a lifetime things are like like technological things that were so advanced are like now extinct in like my and, own right. lifetime, right? Like exactly. it's just, it's nuts. So I and figured like, I'll be you would 30 probably... in April. Right. So you're 30 and I'll, I just turned 40. I turned my birthday's in December. So in 2020, I'll be 50. I'll be 50 yeah. this at the end of this year. And you've got to figure that like, so I was, I'm in a gen X. I had to look it up. Cause I get so confused. confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't even keep track of that. So Jesus. But yeah, yeah you think about things in, I figured, I mean, MySpace, I figured fell somewhere in, at least you knew what it was, but yeah, yeah. like my 10 year old has, will never know what MySpace was. Nope. So things are going at such a fast rate. Also, what you used to do as a kid to release dopamine, yeah, to get yeah. those happy hormones and mm -hmm. endorphins, mm -hmm. right? Um, it was a completely different world. Now it drives me fucking crazy our kids come over and especially there's a couple of them that need the dopamine hits or rely on them like personality wise I can look at our kids and the kids that leave their phones on like my phone is never off silent my husband's always like you never answer your goddamn phone when I call you and I'm like because I don't have my phone on because the dings actually just make me 
crazy. I have every yeah. notification turned off. If I want to know if I have an Instagram notification, I'll go then on I freaking Instagram. Yeah. Right? I'll go on. I'll go on and check. I, I have every notification off. And I think those of us who are in generations where we did not get dopamine triggers from likes the on Facebook, the, dings. the yeah. dings, right? The dings, the constant dings. And I can tell which of my kids have lower self-esteem literally by which ones leave their phones on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one of our kids, I'm like, dude, if you don't turn your phone off, I'm going to throw it against a wall. I, yeah. I can't stand it, but it's, it's, I mean, like it's constant, like it's yeah, this constant, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, somebody likes somebody. And when you don't get enough of those, you feel shitty, shitty. Yeah. I don't even Something know what that bothers are supposed to be good. But. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. People are always surprised when, when they like ask for like my metrics and like what my, like, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, like I don't where, know. I don't even know where to find that. Like, I don't look at my likes. I don't look at like my traffic or whatever. Like, I don't look at any of those things. They, <laughs> like, I don't look at any of those things. It's like, I don't care. Like I do what feels good to you. And that's like a personality type. Like I'm an intuitive feeler. So like, right. I don't care about the metrics and all of those numbers and whatnot. Something that also drives me nuts is, um, when I'm out with friends yeah, and the phone is on the table even if it's facing down, there's still a part of your mind that's on your phone and it's not a hundred percent engaged with me. And something right. I'm really proud of is people are always like, wow, like for someone who has an online business is, and is on Instagram a lot during the day and blah, blah, blah. Like you're not on your phone at all when you're like out with us. And I'm like, yeah, cause I'm out with you. I want to be in the moment. Like I don't need to be checking my phone. It's going to be there regardless. Right. And if it's important enough, people should be calling, right? Well, that part's true. My only issue, the only disagreement I have with that, and this is a source of contention on our date nights, is that I don't have my volume on ever and I don't feel it vibrate. Like I have, and I have an Apple watch and I, mm -hmm. I you know why, why I have it? Because I won it. I ran yeah. a 5K and I won this watch. Yeah. And now I love it. I absolutely love it, but I have to turn notifications off because it vibrates on my wrist. It just, it makes me crazy. See, um, and I have a Versa. So like okay. I'll get notifications, yeah, but I, I do. can't respond to them, Oh, which is what I like. So if yes. I see some, like I'll see something and if it looks important or whatnot, then I'll go to my phone. Right. But then I don't, I don't, feel the desire to respond to it because I literally can't I literally just oh, get the notification and then I can either clear it or I have to go to my phone to to do something with right, it right right so right that's why I really opted for the versa and I mean you won yours I won you it have a choice. yeah <laughs> but that's why a, a huge reason why I opted for the Fitbit versa versus the Apple watch is right. because of that also, we're going on a little bit of a tangent here, but okay, I, love um, I wanted a, a fitness tracker that yep. had smart watch capabilities. Whereas I feel like the Apple watch is a smart watch with fitness capabilities. Ooh, there is a distinction, right? Yes, there is. See, I would have opted for the Versa also. Yeah. Yeah. I would have yeah. gone that direction also. If I had like, if you, well, actually, if you had lined up, like you can get any smart watch that you want. Yeah. I would have been completely overwhelmed. Yeah, that's true. Right? It's true. Like, so I would have had to call you up and be like, hey, <laughs> I have this opportunity. I would have had to call someone who someone, had yeah. an idea what to, because I would have, I love, this is, this is what sucks. Okay. Someone that I love, that's a good friend of mine who means the world to me, sent me a text. And this is when I turned, it used to vibrate. My watch used to vibrate. And I turned that off when this happened. So the text will pop up and I saw it. She said on a Sunday, can you come over on Wednesday? She just had a baby and I love her. <laughs> and I saw it and I was like, okay, I'll get that later. And I forgot, forgot. because the notification then was not on my phone anymore. It looked because mm -hmm. I had read it. Interesting. Even though I hadn't read it. So this yeah. is where we're talking about connecting with people and being I mean, I think this is not a tangent entirely because we're talking about how we connect with people and raise our self-esteem, which is a huge part of what you do because you're confidence yeah. coach. Yeah. So 
because the notification was no longer on my phone, I forgot. Now I wouldn't have been able to come over on Wednesday, but Wednesday hit and something was nagging me. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I know I'm forgetting something. And then, oh my gosh, I remembered. And I went to the text and I said, I am so sorry. I completely forgot to respond to this text. And she said to me, it shows that you read it on Sunday. And I felt like shit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? It popped up on my watch. And so it wipes it out. So the notification won't remind me. It won't, it doesn't show as unread and something I need to address later. And I think we get busy in our lives. So we're forgetting how to connect with people. Yeah. Things are so easy. And that was a moment, the moment I made sure that I, I only turn it on when I am respond. Like, I don't want to respond from my Mm -hmm. watch. I don't want it to show that I've read it. Yeah. And I love that. Like, I don't even have that option and see that doesn't happen. Cause like if I clear a notification on my watch, it's still on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. I think we just have to be so careful because it wasn't for me, it pisses me off. It doesn't give me endorphins. It doesn't feed me dopamine. Yeah. 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 So for generations, like like the opposite effect. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It it's an irritant, but I think now I mean, my daughter is, she turns 10 in January of 2020. So whenever people listen to this, she said, why does my sister who's 18 have two phones and two laptops and a TV in her room? And I'm like, well, great question. I get my kids a phone and it's on a two-year contract. (laughs) It's totally fine. People can see it. That's enough enough of that. Um, I buy a phone and it's on a two-year contract. Her phone got cracked. I won't replace it. So she yeah. found a friend who she bought a different phone from. But the f- and so um, one of them does one thing. Like what her phone that broke that I got her doesn't answer phone calls and stuff. But the new phone doesn't do. I, they do different things. So she has two now. That's her choice. I paid for yeah. one, and until your two years is up, I'm done. I'm not yeah. helping you out at all. So because of that, she uses them one for social media and one for phone calls and text messages. Hmm. She has two laptops. One is a super old laptop that like seven of my kids use and I use. And actually it just needs to be wiped and recycled. It just happens to be in her room. And the other one is one that she has. She's getting ready to go to graduate from high school and go to college. And she bought it. Why? Because my 10 year old wants a laptop and she's convinced that she should have a phone at 10. I know it's nuts. It's wild. It's wild so, that people are, yeah, that like children are putting on their Christmas list. Like I want an iPad. I want this. And I was like, yeah, me too. Get I was happy with like a Polly pocket. Like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you are uh, grateful. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> I know. But, like, I also grew world. up in like, le- like not in a, bu- like I received a right. charity hamper at Christmas time. Like my exactly. life, like, right. I was not uh, an abundant household, but no, and um, I wasn't either. And I think that's yeah. another significant difference in millennials down is that there's, there, there's a lot more opportunity for abundance, even yeah. in technology, there are yeah. ways to get recycled or to use a phone only on Wi-Fi. They have yeah. an app, a texting app that you can use. I mean, well, even like technology opens, like a majority of my clients are in Australia and the UK and I'm mm-hmm. in Canada. Right. If technology like didn't take this upswing, like I feel like that's why we have such a more and like this could be a completely ignorant statement because I know there's still a lot of poverty in the world and there's still a lot of um, imbalance in in that. But I feel like there is a lot more regular abundance with people because you know the internet has opened up the market significantly like without the internet i would be very limited in my city or like maybe even my province to be able to accumulate clients but with technology with the the internet and all of this i'm able to reach literally the world like it has opened up so many more possibilities And something I just kind of want to slide in there that you had mentioned early on about how like, like your daughter has rhythm and pitch and tone and like she has the talent. So it is a possibility. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I always say, like, 
it's not like the key indicator for success is not talent or intelligence or blah, blah, blah. It's what you do with those and how much grit you actually have to commit and dedicate to your dream, right. build that resilience, et cetera, et cetera. So like I said, like if your daughter's not willing to like commit right. to the dance lessons, then her talent means fuck all because right. it's not going to take her anywhere. Well, right. right. And w we have a son who is a, a phenomenal basketball player and could uh, scholarship for track. Awesome. Right. Except he has anxiety. Yeah. And he's afraid to go to college and put his ass on the line. Yeah. And so my biggest fear is that he'll be the best thing that never happened. Oh, yeah. Okay. So here we are. We're talking about self technology opens up everything. We don't have to go look through the encyclopedia and the microfiche oh that God, definitely ages me. Yeah. Right. Like you don't have to go to the library and look yeah. something up in a physical book yeah. to find out the information. Your clients See, can be in a Australia. Millennial, like I, like I you remember that. that. Like, I right. remember doing like a report in grade five on like, um, marine biology and I had to go to the library and read the encyclopedias and like all those things. Right. And then now it's like, what's the point of even like assigning homework? Like everything is on the internet. <laughs> exactly. Like <laughs> exactly. So that leads me to, you're correct. So my husband has his golf pro card, right? It's not because he's innately, like he can just, you give him a golf club and he could go pro level. It's because he spends hours he's dedicated every day and committed to it hours and yeah. he puts himself in coaching situations because it helps him grow yeah and if he has a has a bad day does that stop him from getting yeah. back up it and means trying he'll again do the next more day? the next day right exactly so we it's interesting that's when resilience. you <laughs> that's resilience right so when you talk about like she has this natural talent but that doesn't mean anything no, actually, it means less than the person who doesn't, but works for it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And they've like, exactly literally done saying. studies on this. Like they've mm -hmm. done studies of people getting into like prestigious universities and, you know, like who, who does well in like the Navy and all of this. And it's not the people who did really well on their SATs and blah, 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 blah. It's nope. the people who have this notion. And like, I didn't create the notion of grit. It was... Um, I can't remember. Let me just quickly look it up here. Amanda something. Um, but I created the four pillars that I believe Amanda or Angela Lee Duckworth. So she wrote a book called grit, the power of passion and perseverance. So that kind of gave me the original inspiration. And then I broke it down into these four categories because people literally used to ask me like, what, like, what was it about you? How were you always able to get back up and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, like, what was it? So like, let's break it down. Right. And I used to literally make the joke, like, I wish I knew, I wish I knew what kept me going because then I would like put it in a little bottle and like give it to people. Right. But through my journey, through the work that I did through everything and like now I'm pivoting to answer that question is because like now I can put it in a metaphorical bottle mm -hmm. and give it to people and that's literally what my business is doing now it's helping people connect with themselves learn how to gain grit and like now my new podcast is called gaining grit because I yeah. truly want to help people be inspired by my stories, by my guest stories to literally learn that it's not about your talent, intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. It's how much grit you have and how much you want it to be able to move forward and releasing yourself from those external limitations, break free from them, root within yourself so that you know you can always persevere. Because people always make a joke that, well, I don't, it's actually not a joke and it used to really hurt my feelings, but people used to always say the most common first impression they would get from me is that I was intimidating. Yep. And I was like, well, that hurts my feelings. I was like, I don't want to be intimidating. Like right. I want to be approachable. Like I'm such an open heart and I care so much about people. But then again, like I saw this other meme online where it was like, somebody asked the question, am I intimidating or are you intimidated? Because oh. again, that's a, that is a distinction. Yes. And since I read that, I, it gave me a lot of, um, 
comfort. And I was like, okay, that's a good point. Like, am I intimidating or are they just intimidated? And I feel like they are intimidated because I'm not the type of person to go into a room seeking that external validation because I don't need it. I've connected with myself. I know what I'm capable of. I know what I want. And that makes people almost perceive you as a little bit dangerous because you don't conform to the status quo. You don't fit in this cookie cutter box. And that's because I'm not connected to anything external. Caveat, don't get me wrong. Do I love external validation? Absolutely. I'm a human being. (laughs) Like I love when people tell me a podcast episode really resonated with them or, you know, when a client writes me a testimonial or when my partner tells me I look beautiful or all of these, like, obviously I'm human. I fucking love those things. However, external validation should always be a bonus. It should Mm -hmm. always be in addition to the validation that you give yourself. Because guess what? If you put all your eggs in these external baskets, looking to make them feel good about yourself, what happens when they're not around anymore? Perfect example, the dopamine hits with your phone. What happens if your phone breaks and you don't have those pings and those dings anymore? Or they just don't come, you don't have enough of them. I mean, like that post didn't have as many likes as another post or. Yeah. Yeah. What do Okay. So that's why I brought that up because we're talking about self-worth and confidence. So how do you build that in people when there's so much pressure from society compared to when you were first growing up or when I was growing up? Because it's got to be crazy hard for millennials. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and the thing is, the number one thing I work on with people is helping them figure out what is what does confidence mean to you? Because mm-hmm. I am all about the individual journey. What works for one person is not necessarily going to work for another person. And that's why my like one-on-one programs aren't this like 12 step process that we, I take you through and you're going to come out at the end of it, a super confident person. Because like, if I had that, some person might start at step eight. Some person yeah. might be starting at step zero. Like everyone is at a different place in their journey. And right. I'm all about meeting people at the perfectly imperfect place that they are and to help them build up from there. So one of the first things I do is like, well, what does confidence mean to you? Because when I was in my early 20s and I was still a hot mess person who hadn't done this self-work, I was always the like center of attention in the room, like starting an argument, like this and this, and like I needed all the attention on me. And people were like, oh, like she's such a confident person. Like she doesn't give a fuck. She's like always the center of attention, blah, 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 blah. But I wasn't, I was a hot mess, broken person in my early twenties. And I was doing that. Like, look at me, look at me, look at the peacock show so that you can't see how broken I am inside. Right now I'm much more reserved. Now I love observing people. I sit back and I speak when I feel like something actually needs to be said, not because I feel like I need to be the attention drawn on me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm so against this notion that a, you have to be extroverted to be confident, or you have to be the center of attention to be confident. Let's figure out what confidence means to you. Because if confidence to you is like staying home on a Friday night when everybody else is going out getting shit faced and you honor that, you honor what feels good to you. To me, that's what makes you a confident person. If you are honoring what feels good to you, regardless of what everybody else thinks or is doing or says is right or appropriate or whatnot. If you're honoring what feels good to you, that makes you a confidence person in my eyes. Absolutely. Even saying no, you look at, I mean, I work a lot with moms. And so why are moms overwhelmed and stressed and feeling like they can't handle it? Because they don't say no. Yeah. They feel like they have to say yes to everything Yeah. or pe- or they'll be less than, or yeah. they can't handle as much as the, the mom down the street. It's I such a load of crap. I just, I, I just can't even imagine, like, I feel the pressures as a millennial woman in society. I Mm -hmm. just can't, you cannot win as a mother. Like you literally, and I'm not a mother, you know, like I'm a pet mom, but like, I'm not a human (laughs) child mom, but like from what I, what I see as not even a mother and how I'm affected, not Mm -hmm. even being a mother mothers can literally not win in society no it is you can't fucking mental 
You like, can't. It's yeah. just wild. And so confidence, you're, I mean, that's a great point. I'm, confidence could just be saying no. Yeah. It could just be saying no and being okay with the fact that you said no, not second guessing it. Exactly. Or not getting, not feeling those dopamine hits from your phone. I find that, tell me, tell me if this is part of what you're doing now, because I find that when you go someplace, like you're saying, when you go out to a restaurant or something <laughs> and you don't have your phone up, people are constantly looking down at their phones to me and what seems like this desperate attempt to connect. We want yeah. connection so badly, like which we should, in front of you. but they don't look up at what's in front of them. It's, and so we've, nuts. we've stopped knowing how to connect with people, yeah. have a conversation with a person in real time, in real yeah. life. Yeah. And online, you get to be the persona that you want people to think you are, not yeah. who you really are. And what a disservice because who you really are, people, I, I've always told my kids, people are going to like you or not like you regardless. So be yourself. Yeah. Then at least it'll be genuine. Yeah. They'll genuinely like you or dislike you. Yeah. There will be no wondering. And I feel like people have such a hard time connecting, but one of the things I want to go back to is I, I'm going to, I'll have a link to our first podcast in this one. Sure. And I don't want to reinvent the wheel here, go over it, but you, you were told to growing up, you were a mistake. Yeah. Your mom was bipolar. Yeah. Um, she was a young mom. She was 19. 19 when she had me. Yeah. Yep. You were sexually assaulted four different people growing up yep. and then, but you still, you got yourself through high school, working yep. two part-time jobs, graduated with honors. And then you ended up being in the relationship with a guy who was a cocaine addict who locked you into your own apartment, I did, forced yeah. you to have sex and you escaped without shoes on your feet. Yes. Like you're not coming from a place where it was like, no, it was a little hard. You're coming from a place where it was huge. And then you were diagnosed with OCD when I was 19. Yeah. Can you go into that a little bit more? I have a lot of people with anxiety, but not necessarily OCD, but it's hard to function in a world in a, like there is no normal way, but in a normal way. But when you're really, really struggling with something external like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's I, when I was, yeah. So I was officially diagnosed when I was 19 years old, but like most 19 year olds, you tell me something, it went in one ear and out the other. So I was, I didn't really pay attention to my diagnosis until I think 24, 25. Mm -hmm. Then I was finally like, oh, this is all the shit that I'm dealing with. Mi amor, cortala. Enough. Enough. <laughs> She's the rest of us are like, look at the puppy, look at the puppy. Honestly, she's like, okay, you took my other bone away. I'm going to find another toy. Enough. Um, so I will say having, like for me, mental, mental awareness, mental illness, the best thing you can do for yourself is awareness. It's doing research. It's reflecting on yourself. What does a good day look like? What does a bad day look like? Mm. What are your triggers? You know, what, what happens when you start to spiral? And I feel like, and this could be my own, my own bias, but I feel like obsessive compulsive disorder is one of those, um, mental health pillars, I guess, if you will, that a lot of people still don't really understand because yeah. it is very individually unique. You know, like people tend to have an idea of what depression is. People right. tend to have an idea of what anxiety is. People tend to have an idea of like what postpartum is, right? Like people right. have these notions, but I feel like obsessive compulsive disorder is still this like joke people throw around. It's like, oh, my shoes are such a hot mess right now. Like my OCD is going nuts. It's like being OCD is not being a neat freak or a clean freak. It's literally like seeing your shoes a hot mess and then envisioning yourself like tripping over the shoes, falling down the stairs, cracking open your neck, nobody finding you for days. And then you have all of these anxieties come out because of all of these intrusive images and thoughts that you then have to, you are compulsive. Like you are literally yeah. something takes over and you have to do something. You have to be compulsive to try and bring that anxiety down. And an example, mm -hmm. I've, I've gotten a lot better because I've done a lot of research. I've done a lot of self-awareness. I've done a lot of all of these things. 
to try and mitigate this, this journey for myself. But my puppy got um, her space surgery about a month ago now, or on the 27th of, of December. So like three weeks ago, she got her space surgery. And like, like I said, I love my pets dearly. And when they're in pain, I'm a hot mess. So my partner and I went to go pick her up from the vet and like she was so sweet but like her legs were shaking and she was like in pain and like I immediately was in tears immediately and I probably cried like six times that night just like seeing her in pain and I did not sleep that night because all night these images of her like bleeding out or getting an infection or like falling down the stairs or you know, not, she could barely poop because she couldn't really hold her legs up, you know? So then I was like, oh, she's going to get like an internal infection, like all night, right. all night, these things. So what did I do to try to make myself better the next day is I like bubble wrapped her. I like, I made my partner carry her up and down the stairs, like carry her outside to go pee, like made sure that she wasn't doing anything. I got her a fabric cone so she could, you know, so it's like, yeah. But it's not like that for everybody with OCD. Like an OCD is truly different for a lot of people. Like Howie Mandel, for example, he has the the germ thing where he can't yeah. shake people's hands. I have no problem shaking people's hands. I have no problem eating something off the floor. Right. Like like right, like germs don't really bother me. Right. 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 But it does for some people with OCD. And so right. I feel like like, even like you said, like you've had a couple people with anxiety, but not a lot with OCD. Cause I feel like OCD is still one of those things that people don't really understand what it is yet. Right. And, and the yeah. only way they're going to is by having these conversations and OCD is truly this like vicious cycle where like something triggers, you start obsessing and start getting these intrusive, like illogical pardon me, illogical thoughts that just like take over your mind and, and really rev up your anxiety. And then once you're at that point, it's like a breaking point. You're like, fuck, like I got to do something. And then that's when the compulsions come in. And so that's when are we back? We are. Yeah. We're back. We're back. Okay. We're good. That's when you, um, that's when you lock and unlock the door. That's when you like do yes. this or do that. Like, I, I don't know everybody's compulsions. I only know mine and, and I have the um, experience of my mom's own compulsions. Right. right. But, but yeah, OCD is truly like truly unique to a lot of people. Like I, I said earlier, like people have an idea of what anxiety is. People have an idea of what depression is, but like OCD looks so different to so many different people. It's really hard to kind of get people to, to sympathize and to really understand it. And, and it is really disheartening when people are like, oh, my roommate is so OCD. She's just like always cleaning and always doing this. And it's like, oh my that's, fucking God, that's that is not what, not it is. what obsessive compulsive No, as a matter is. of fact, so I do have a couple of kids that haven't been diagnosed, but they have OCD in different ways. Yeah. But it yeah. is still hard to understand. One of them, she, if she touches raw chicken or eggs, loses her shit. Yeah. But her bathroom in college, like now she's... <laughs> Now she's in a relationship and, you know, her bathroom in college, I was like, uh, don't wash the tub, communicate with the alien life that's growing in there. Like it was disgusting. Yeah. I couldn't. So like, how can eggs freak you out where you then it triggers this whole anxiety, yeah. right? If you touch a raw egg when you're making a cake and you freak the fuck out, yeah. but your bathroom, yeah. like your, your naked body is showering in this yeah. grossness. Right. And another one has to feel their utensils. Okay. So literally she'll open the drawer for dinner and they're all adults now. And she'll pick up a fork and it's like, oh, I don't like the way that one feels yeah. or the spoon. And it's a tactile thing. Yeah. Her OCD is completely tactile. She can't wear a shirt if it doesn't, you know? And so, and now I love how things feel, although I'm not OCD, but when I go yeah. through like a when you're sh when you're shopping for clothing, I touch you're a everything, touch yeah. right? And I'm my touchy best, one with of my best people. friends is like that. Yeah, I'm now, a smell I, person. I okay, smell okay. everything, like literally everything. <laughs> okay, like even things that you probably think would be disgusting. Like if I, if I pick up my dog's poop, right. I'm like I like smell it, <laughs> you know, and I'm like. 
does this smell as stinky as it normally does? Like, is there anything is there something weird different? About this? Right. Is there something different about yeah, you know. But then even when I'm like out and about, like if I, you know, if there's like a can or whatever, like I literally have to smell, smell everything. everything. Yeah. Where I like to touch things, not in a way that's compulsive or gives me anxiety. I wouldn't buy something that didn't feel good to me just because yeah. it didn't feel good. Yeah, but, yeah. but I have kids who have taken. Like we want if if I walked through with a bunch of my kids, you would watch everybody touching everything, and I was like, oh my god, I've passed on this disease <laughs> of touching things. But some of them have taken it to this level where they have to touch the doorknob and check that it's locked three times. My mom was like that, yeah, and the stove. But that's the only thing. Like that's it. Okay, that's so it, your yeah. your thing is you have to check the the doors locked three times. Yours is you can't stand eggs. If they touch your hands, yours is you have to touch the silver, like, and I, there's nothing, there's not any one thing that triggers me, but like, no. what will happen if you use a fork that doesn't feel good? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know yeah. where that goes in their mind, but you're right. It's taking something to such an extreme, but it can be anything. Yeah. Anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how common are these triggers? I mean, it can be because your OCD triggers an anxiety in you. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the case for everybody. I'm sure how I, I don't know. I, but from my knowledge of research, that is the obsessive compulsive cycle. And I think okay. that's what's slightly different about this mental illness than, you know, well, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to make generalizations. Cause I mean, like I do have depressive episodes, anxiety is tied into my OCD, but I feel like like obsessive compulsive disorder, it's literally this cycle. It's like trigger, obsession, anxiety, compulsion, relief. Got and then it. again, trigger, obsession, anxiety, compulsion, compulsion relief. relief. And I'm, I bet if I said that cycle to any one of my kids about their specific, the specific thing that bothers them, yeah, they would probably say yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing to different levels or different degrees or yeah. Let's talk about your podcast a little yeah. bit. Okay. <laughs> I know I'm trying to, I'm, there's so much to cover with you. We yeah. don't even need to go into your past. I know. So you launched this podcast. Yes. Um, gaining grit gaining and grit, it's yes. about commitment, dedication, resilience, and perseverance, which are yeah. your four pillars. Mm -hmm. So how do you, do you have guests? Do you, yeah. I can see it. So I, for people who don't know, yeah. you have guests every time? Um, I alternate. So I'll do a solo show and then I do a guest show and then it goes back and forth in okay. that rhythm. Okay. And who, who comes on about gaining grit? So I, the reason why I, so my old podcast was called The Way I See It with the mm -hmm. letter C because I really wanted to share my story and give people the opportunity to share their story and like the way they see a certain topic. But it really was, it felt all over the place. Like one week I'd be talking about astrology and the next week I'd be talking about women's reproductive rights. And then the next week I'd be talking about goal setting. So it was just kind of like, it didn't really have any rhyme or reason, whereas right. gaining grit is really focused on those four pillars. So Got I it. bring guests onto the show that have a story around one of those four pillars. And in my application form to be a guest on the podcast, it asks you like, which pillar does your story fall under? And okay. why do you think it falls under that story? So it's really just... Yeah, it's it's a place to inspire people to find to figure out that self-love and hear other people's stories of how they committed to something, how they built resilience, how they persevered, how they dedicated themselves to something. So and that can can look different, right? Like I just yeah. recorded two shows today. Uh, like solo shows, but I recorded two solo shows. One was like about the different kind of personality types and, and figuring out what helps you like commit or dedicate to something. And then another show was um, an experience I had where I like burnt myself out. And so that was really yeah. focused on like resilience, right? So there are different topics and um, 
and I'm, I'm so excited to see like what other guests we can have on the show. But like I had one guest talk about she she's a doctor and she worked a lot with children with autism. Yeah, and then I saw she that. ended up having a child with autism, and it was right. figuring out how she navigated that journey. And like that takes a lot of grit to, to be able to to navigate through that journey and and to share her story. And it was really really compelling. And then. Um, the episode after that, I think it went out today was like my experience having immigrant parents and, right. and what it was like, like I'm Canadian. So that we have this like Canadian star, Don Cherry, who's very popular in like the hockey community. And he made a, you know, racial slight around Remembrance Day on national TV. And he ended up getting fired because it was like, that's not okay, blah, blah, blah. And it was a really polarizing topic because there were some people who like didn't see anything wrong with what he did. But then someone like me who was, I was born here, but my parents weren't. And even though I don't have an amazing relationship with my parents, they're still my parents. Like I'm still an extension of them. Like I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. Right. Right. So when, you know, like I still love them, even though they weren't great to me, I don't have a relationship to them. Like they're still my parents. I still, they're on their own journeys. Like their souls have their own contracts in this lifetime of what they need to fulfill in, in alignment with my soul's contract and what I need to learn and fulfill so you know I feel like my parents truly sacrificed this life like their soul sacrificed this life to teach me lessons to teach my soul lessons mm. and so were they great no but that was their part in my story like they had to teach me pain and they had to teach me resilience and I think it was very generous of their souls to make that sacrifice in this lifetime for me mm -hmm. which like it's taken me a long time to get to that point like <laughs> yeah I was like, like wow like, what, what a magical person like so forgiving like don't get me wrong like I hated my parents for <laughs> yeah, a really oh, I know. long time but uh, but that's what this work does right and and yes. that's what my, my goal is for for gaining grit it's just it's being raw and honest and vulnerable and giving people a place to be raw and honest and vulnerable and share their stories to inspire people on ways that they can gain grit in their own lifetime and so don cherry made a slate and you got to address that on your podcast i did yes yeah. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Tune it's an emotional that. episode actually. Like I, okay. I get very, like I'm straight up crying in, in trying to get my message across and, and I admit things that like, don't make me feel great. Like, and mm -hmm. like I was embarrassed of my parents growing up because they were immigrants because people right. treated them so differently that I felt like there was something wrong with them because people treated them so differently. So I felt like there was something wrong with me you, because again, yeah. we're an extension of our parents, right? Yeah. And yeah. But I was also straddling this world of like, A, being a mixed race baby, like I'm half Latina, which I've, like I'm connected to my Hispanic roots, but I also feel a lot of like guilt and shame seeing I'm a mixed race baby because like I've never experienced di discrimination. I've never experienced racism. Mm -hmm. I've seen it. I've seen it, people treat my mother differently. I've mm -hmm. seen people make fun of their accents. I've seen secret shoppers follow my mom around just because she's darker, but I've never experienced that. So right. it's, it's something I'm learning to navigate and really reconnect with the fact that like at the end of the day, like I am a mixed race baby. I am half European, half Latina. And right. I don't look it. I look very Caucasian. I get all of the white privilege. So it's a really interesting journey trying to navigate that like getting all of the all of the white privilege but then seeing someone you care about seeing someone who raised you be treated so unbelievably different just because they look different right that's the and you and you not fitting into that mold even though nope. you're right we have a few minutes left i want to talk about you 
had this struggle and then you learned to embrace, I mean, you had a lot of struggles. I'm not minimizing that part. <laughs> Let me just make a caveat here. I'm yeah, not yeah. minimizing that. Okay. But then you got to a place where you were able to embrace your creativity mm-hmm. and feel that sense of excitement and fulfillment in your life. Mm-hmm. What is your advice to people who are not there yet? I mean, I know you have coaching. I know, right? Yeah. I don't yeah. usually like to spring questions on people because I don't like when people do that to me. Yeah, no, that's but okay. But I, I think, because um, you coach people a lot and you help women yeah. who are lacking their confidence, but it took you a lot to get there. So yeah. what would the first step be? You did say, figure out what confidence means to you yeah. and turn things around. Like when somebody says something negative to you saying you were intimidating yeah. was a negative thing. So if somebody says anything like that, that's negative, are you that or are they that? That's facing it forward. So we've got great tools here. Yeah. Um, But then to figure out what you loved as a child that got squashed out of you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not the same, but it's that same, like you, you said the word creativity. So maybe you're not singing and dancing on stage like you wanted to do when, like my daughter, when she was five, but it's in a different way. Yeah. How do you find that again? How do you figure out who you are and what you want? So I truly believe that clarity comes from action. And I saw something on Instagram the other day that said, like, you can get more done in 20 minutes of doing something than spending 20 hours thinking about doing something. Uh. And I think that's really crucial. And I think we've become, and this is where, um, cause I talked a lot about, about, I talked a lot about commitment and dedication in this episode and a little bit about resilience and perseverance, but I feel like this is really where the resilience and perseverance component of that formula comes in is because I feel like we've become so afraid to try things because we're so worried that they're not going to work out or they're going to be a waste of time or et cetera, et cetera. And this is really where it's so crucial to, to cultivate perseverance and to build that resilience and strengthen that resilience so that even when things don't work out, you know that you'll either learn something for, from it or you'll pick yourself back up or you'll be able to, to persevere through it. Because if you're not even willing to try anything, mm-hmm. you're going to literally not move or at least just continue to go around in circles. You have to take that step. You have to, do you think that when I was 16 years old and I looked at how shitty my life was, I was like, let's move out. This sounds great. This is going to work out fine. Like, no, it was fucking scary as shit. I literally walked out the door with two garbage bags full of clothes. And I was like, what the fuck have I done? Right. Right. But now anytime like something technical on my website isn't working out or like mail, I don't use MailChimp anymore, but like MailChimp used to literally bring me to tears. Anytime something feels really hard, right? I just remind myself, I'm like, Carolina, you moved out at 16 years old with nothing but two garbage bags full of shit. Look at your three bedroom house. Look at your two fur babies. Look at the two cars you have in the driveway, the beautiful deck in the backyard. Like you fucking made it. If you can go from that to this, you can get through MailChimp. You can get through this technological (laughs) thing, right? And that's literally what building resilience is. It's like, find what the worst thing you've ever gone through is what did you learn from that? And then just start building off of it. Right. And a, a caveat I, I'm really feeling called to bring attention to lately is like this notion that you have, like you said, like I've gone through a lot of things in my life and like, I don't want to brush that under the rug by any stretch of the imagination. I did that for a long time. Yeah. At the, yeah. At the end of the day, it was a very real possibility for me to end up homeless on the street, addicted to drugs, a teen mom or dead. Like yeah. those were very real possibilities for my story. And yeah, I've were. been very 
hesitant to connect to that because my story didn't go that way. And I know that a lot, it's not the case for a lot of people. A lot of people do end up homeless, do end up dead. And like my heart goes out to them. So I felt very cheap saying like, oh, that was a possibility in my story because mine didn't go that way. Ah. But at the end of the day, it was a possibility and I need to give myself that honor. However, going back to my, my caveat here, we romanticize trauma. We yeah. romanticize hardship. And I've had a lot of clients come to me and be like, well, Carolina, like, I don't have a story like you. Like, I had a great childhood growing up. Like, my, my parents were great, like this and that. And like, I don't feel like I have anything worth saying. And I'm like, holy fuck. I am yeah. so sorry that we've done you a disservice that you feel like you have to have a trauma in your life to feel like you have something worth saying. Yep. So something that, yeah, like I'm really trying to nail home with people is this notion, like we romanticize trauma and it is so dangerous and a very, yep. very slippery slope. I don't know if you watch the TV, uh, the Netflix show you. But it's like, I just heard about it yesterday. My daughter, my twenty-eight-year-old like daughter. Okay, root for the guy. Okay, like, it's such brilliant writing that you're like, fuck yeah! Like you root for him. Okay, and then you have to give your head a shake, and you're like, oh shit, this guy kills people. <laughs> you know, like, you're the second like, person in two shit. days. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Like, it's wild. So yeah, I don't, I don't want people to romanticize trauma because like if the worst thing you've ever gone through is like a flat tire on your way to work and that was the end of the world devastating, you can build from that. Yeah, because guess I what? Agree. The next time you have a flat tire, you've already gone through it once. You know to call Canadian Tire or Cal Tire <laughs> or whatever the fuck is in the States. Well, obviously Canadian Tire is in Canada. Play, baby. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So, but like right. you've gone through it once, you right. know that you can get through something else. And let's say it's not even a flat tire. Let's say like now you missed an appointment or you did something else. Like something else feels like the end of the world. Stop, take a breath, remind yourself that the last time you felt like it was the end of the world, you got a flat tire and you made it through that. Right. So guess what? You can make it through this because that also felt like it was the end of the world. I always tell people I have a hundred percent success rate at getting through shit. Yeah. I don't always do a great job. What I'm going through isn't always great. I may really suck in the process. I don't, but I have a hundred percent success rate mm -hmm. of getting to the other side one mm -hmm. way or the other. And I feel the same way about the stories not being good enough. That is huge when you're, when you're running a podcast and I've yeah. run a podcast for almost three years. Yeah. And so people are like, I don't know if my story is good enough. And I'm like, there's not a single Everyone goddamn a story. story that's not good enough. Yeah. There's Everyone not a story one. And everyone needs to hear your story. Because guess what? If the mm -hmm. worst thing you've ever gone through is a flat tire, mm -hmm. somebody else in the world could also have the worst thing happen to them be a flat tire, but they yeah. feel ridiculous right. because nobody talks about a flat tire being the worst thing you've ever gone through. Right. right? So like everyone, everyone yeah. has a story and somebody out there needs to hear your story. Does everybody need to hear your story? No. Does everybody need to hear my story? No. But guarantee there are some people out there mm -hmm. who need to hear my story. And guess what? I don't give a fuck about the people who don't. I give a fuck about the people who yep. do. And if me sharing my story helps literally only one, one person, person. Yep. I'll have done my done. job. Yep. I, that exactly. We're going to end there. Carolina, thank you so <laughs> much. So much for being on again. This was so much fun. I'm glad I cyberstalked you. you. Yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm really happy you sent the email like, Hey, if you've been on my show before and you want to come back on, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like a uh, lot's changed. So why not?